0: Eight lucky fans get to drive Lewis Hamilton's Mercedes Formula One simulator and give us their thoughts on the 2013 season. The James Allen on F1 podcast, brought to you by UBS. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the J on F1 podcast, brought to you by UBS. At the end of November I took eight very lucky j JA and F1 competition winners, Patrick, Lucy, Stephen, Nathan, Alex, Daniel, Joseph and Neil to the Mercedes-AMG Petronas F1 team factory at Brackley near Silverstone. They got a tour of the facility and had the once in a lifetime opportunity to drive the race car simulator, the very same one used by Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg. It's never been done before. So it was a perfect opportunity also to hear their thoughts, the insights of some dedicated and knowledgeable fans about the season we've just had of Formula One. In this special podcast, we'll hear which drivers caught their eye, what they made of the tyre issues, the changes for 2014, how they consume the sport on TV, and of course their thoughts on driving that simulator. We began by talking about 2013, starting with Patrick.
1: I thought it was a great year for the first half and then got a little bit predictable towards the second half. Um, In terms of looking at someone completely dominating a sport, I thought it was a masterclass and and sort of fascinating in that area. But I did nap slightly over the last couple of races, I have to admit.
0: And how about you, Lucy? What was your thought on the season? Did you find it too predictable?
2: Uh, Yes, tires were too much strategy. Um, We have to change the tire about nine laps. It was too earlier in, in the race. But uh, at the second half of the season, the thing changed, but uh, Vettel win uh, at all the times, so not so good at all.
0: Well, The tyres obviously were a big talking point this season. Here's Paul Hembry of Pirelli talking about the situation earlier in the year. I think in reality, uh, the change we've made is, is quite minor and uh, certainly wouldn't go towards the an extremely conservative approach which would probably benefit uh, a team like Red Bull. Uh, in fairness, we never had any... Uh, formal uh, request from them to, to make changes, and uh, whilst they might have a, well, might have suited their car better, maybe a different approach. But in reality, they've uh, they've just said, okay. At the end, we've got to get on with it. And as I say, they've won two out of four, so uh, they're not doing too bad. Silverstone was an extraordinary situation with five tyre failures during the Grand Prix. We'd been reaching a situation where the tyres would become a political football anyway between the teams. Did you find that whole thing a, a bit of a turnoff or was it engaging? Was it, was it one overpowering story in Formula One?
1: You know, my mind changed about this um, halfway through the season, I think. And... I felt very sorry for Pirelli at certain points because I thought they were between a rock and a hard place and there wasn't a lot they could do. They d- couldn't get testing on the tyres, so they didn't really know what they, they were doing. When they, they when they did test the tyres, they got a lot of stick for it, albeit for semi-decent reasons sometimes. But um, it was really interesting uh, to see the levels of degradation and, and you thought that maybe... Um, the best drivers are going to win. But then it just sort of became a tyre management game towards the end of the season. And I thought that that really took away a lot from it. And, you know, if they can build a more reliable, or, or sorry, not a more reliable, but a more robust tyre for next year, where racers can really race on them and really lean on them for a decent period of time, then I think, you know, it'll get more interesting again. Well,
0: Sebastian Vettel won his fourth world title this year. Here he is talking about this 2013 season.
3: Generally, people tend to underestimate
0: the challenge if you look at uh, a Formula One season. We start
3: in yeah mid-January, end of January, and uh, we keep going until more or less uh, end of November or Christmas even, so uh, parts of December. Um, it's very difficult to stay on the same level. Obviously, the target is to always perform 100% from race one to... Uh, the last race, um, so it's it's not easy uh, because you have to set priorities uh, to what's most important to you. And most important to me is to, yeah, make sure that I um, I'm as close as I can be to deliver 100%
0: when I'm when I'm in the car. So Vettel, wh- what do you think, Lucy? Do you think he deserved to be champion again?
2: Yes, uh, when we see the second half season, uh, he win all the Grand Prix. It, that's mean that he has. He is talented, and uh, he deserve his uh, fourth title. Um, maybe people think he's bored, but it's uh, him. is He win. He can win, and he, he wants all the time make better and better, and he can do it. So I think it's good.
0: It's an important point that uh, his work ethic. I watched him closely. Uh, you can see that he's not winning by accident. Uh, a lot of people think he's just winning perhaps because he has the best car. But I wonder, w- what conclusions have you drawn about him this season, Patrick?
1: Uh, my opinion of him has gone up hugely, I think. Um, yes, he's been given the best set of tools by Adrian Newey, but his execution of that has been peerless. And I think, you know, a lot of people get a bit upset that, yeah, he's got more world titles now than someone like Senna. Um, but I think the game has changed so much since then. Uh, and the level of. Uh, dedication in terms of the hours you've got to put in you can't just win a race and nip off to the beach now it's back to the factory and and testing and and on simulators and stuff like that which is really interesting but yeah he's he's just uh dedicated himself so completely and used the tools he's got so fully um the results have uh, have spoken for themselves i think he's, he's really done a great job
0: Well, you mentioned Senna there, and of course, one of the big things with Vettel this year was showing that he has a a bit of the devil in him, a bit like Senna and and Schumacher before him with what happened in Malaysia. Obviously, he's behind his teammate Mark Webber and closing stage of the Grand Prix, given a team order to stay behind him and, and chose not to and to actually pass him. I wonder, did that change your perception of him?
1: Him doing it wasn't a problem for me. I thought that, you know... Racing drivers are going to win at all costs. If I was in that situation, I wish, um, I would have done exactly the same thing. Call me a terrible human being, if you will. But um, the way he reacted to it at the end was he didn't really hold his hands up to it. And I think that's just a little bit of experience. And, you know, I think the media sort of storm that came after it needed handling a little bit better on on his part. But um, no, I don't think he did anything wrong in, in the action itself at all. So Lucy, who was your driver of the year?
2: Lewis Hamilton. Because uh, he's my favorite and uh, <laughs> I'm for him. So <laughs> for me, he's the best. <laughs>
1: what about the rest of you? Who was your driver of the year? I really like the way Roman Grosjean handled this year. I mean, he came into uh, a very difficult situation where his head clearly wasn't in the right place, uh, had a little bit of a tricky start to the year, and then really got it together over the summer and proved a lot of people who were slamming him uh, wrong. And, and, you know, to see his drive secure for next year is, is really nice.
0: Well, okay. Let's throw it forward then to 2014, and obviously the new technology coming in. First of all, let, let's hear from Mercedes engine boss Andy Cow. We spoke to him recently, and he told us all about this extraordinary revolution in technology that's coming down the line next year.
1: After the uh, the, the initial decision to to make it a um, a, a fuel energy based formula, the hundred kilograms for the for the race was uh, was chosen as um, as an aggressive target. Mm. So we've got a. Um, uh, a 35% reduction in, um, in, in chemical energy and the fuel available to us. So that's why you know, we've introduced turbochargers. Um, so the turbocharger is the, it's probably the single biggest piece that's giving us the, the, the efficiency. Stephen,
0: what do you think about the 2014 changes? I feel that just for too long we've been talking
3: too much about the kind of dimensions of the aerodynamics and a bit of tyres. And I think we need to shake things up to bring a new dimension in and it's been a while since we've been talking about the engines in Formula One. We don't really mention it too much on weekends, you know. They're in the Mercedes engine, they're in the Ferrari engine because they're all quite similar. They're a rev limited, so they're all hitting the same kind of revs. So uh, I think it's a good thing to have change in the engines and
0: hopefully it'll shake the pecking order up a little bit. And how about you, Alex? Is it the right thing to be doing for Formula One?
4: I think so. Uh, You go back to Enzo Ferrari saying aerodynamics was for people who couldn't really build engines. I think we're back into the engine phase next year. Um, I'm all for making it more green, um, more ecological, uh, more efficient with the energy that they've got. But I grew up in the 80s where you had 1,000 brake horsepower turbo engines. I want to see that again. I want to see big, big horsepower cars uh, that are monstrous to drive out of corners. At the moment, you know we're still completely reliant upon aerodynamics around the corners for the corner speed. So um, the drivers are all managing the tires through the corner phases. Uh, and the engines, whilst they're
0: important, um, The drivers don't really have to manage the throttle application as much as I think they should. It's interesting because, as you say, they've been managing the tyres last year, and next year they're going to have to be managing the fuel consumption as well. I guess there will be times when the drivers have to lift and coast at the end of the straights to save fuel. Is that a concern for you, that there's just going to be too much sort of managing going on and not enough racing?
4: Again, yeah. Um, Drivers this year who I saw struggle predominantly because they were in a, a saving phase throughout the majority of the races people like lewis hamilton um struggling with tires constantly can't push the tires as much as he wants to as much as he possibly can um i would like to go back to seeing drivers really ragging the hardware as much as they can Uh, i enjoy it um maybe even get a little bit sideways here and there it's fun to
0: watch and i think big horsepower if we ever brought that back would probably lead to it it's interesting because, you know, you talk to Alain Prost about it, it's definitely the thinking driver in his mind who will come out on top at the end of next season.
4: And who, do people, who did people, in everybody's memory, who was the, the, the more fun driver to watch? Was it Senna or was it Prost? I think most people would probably say Senna there. Yeah, I think you're probably
0: right. What about things like DRS? It was frustrating, wasn't it, Stephen, to have drivers who get stuck behind others for the entire race and couldn't overtake. Whenever I have any doubts about DRS, I always think back to Abu Dhabi a couple of years ago where Alonso got stuck behind Petrov for the whole race and couldn't challenge. But I wonder, is it the right thing for the sport? Has it helped or has it made uh, the whole thing a bit too artificial for you?
3: Uh, Initially, I thought it was a really good thing and I still do feel that a little bit, but Again, i touched on earlier what I'm finding is a lot of the overtaking maneuvers are done almost long before the breaking point, and it almost just seems a little bit silly sometimes. So I think it maybe needs a little bit tweaked still, but again, this new technology hasn't been in for that long, so hopefully you can uh, tweak it a little bit so we aren't seeing the moves been done in the breaking points, which is what we all want to see.
0: Well, another big uh, talking point for 2014, obviously, will be, in my mind, will be cost control. It's something that Formula One has really badly failed on, in my view. Obviously, they had a res- resource restriction agreement a couple of years ago, fell apart when Ferrari and uh, Red Bull pulled out of the Formula One Teams Association. But I spoke to Tony Fernandez, the boss of Caterham, back at the Singapore Grand Prix. As far as he's concerned, it's a first-order priority for Formula One to sort out cost control in 2014.
4: There's never going to be Galate it isn't, this is not a common sport, I've always said that, you know, that you have to earn your place at the table, but I think the difference between the top and the bottom is dissimilar to football, where the top of football doesn't get it so much more than the bottom in the Premier League, and I think that needs to be equalised a bit, otherwise you know, and I think people have to stop this dog-eat-dog approach and let's screw everyone and, you know, it's, it's me because it's a short-term approach.
0: If you don't have a sport anymore, then what's the point? So we've got big teams with lots of money and the smaller teams at the back, only cost control is going to level that playing field. Have you been concerned about the messages that have been going out this year with drivers not being paid by their teams? It's not good, I think,
4: as, as has been uh, quite obviously evidenced um, this year with a driver taking two races off because he hasn't been paid. Um... You've always had paid drivers in Formula One coming through the ranks. Um, the teams themselves, they need to find a way to be sustainable. And if the costs of the bigger teams do get too high, uh, you'll end up with manufacturers, as has happened in the past, just walking away from it because they don't want to spend the money that is required to compete. Um, if they're not competitive, they don't look bad. So they walk away anyway. Um, it's a, a tough one to crack. Where do you draw the line? It's an arbitrary figure that
0: somebody's going to come up with. but. It's a tough one. Uh, and Stephen, would you like to see the likes of Catram or Morussia, the teams at the back of the grid, being able to move up through the field?
3: Uh yeah, I would. Though so I feel that one of the things that almost obstructs teams uh like Mauricio, getting up to the front of the fear is just the the reliability of Formula One It was just it's almost silly. It's just normal to see twenty to twenty two cars finish a race. Even going back, like like five years ago, it was quite common just to see 10 cars finish a Grand Prix, 11 cars finish a Grand Prix. So I think even that maybe needs to be addressed. Take a little bit of this emphasis off kind of protecting the car so much so we can give those smaller teams, you know, a chance to get more points and to get into the front. In terms of the financial sides, I think, you know, Lotus has proved that they can build a fast car on a smaller budget, but then it's just kind of Upset and see that they can't keep up with the bigger teams because they just don't have that money to develop the car. And also in the subject of Lotus, it's, you see someone like Hulkenberg who is looking like he's not going to get a drive for Lotus because they don't have the finances. And maybe Maldonado, which I'm not in favour of getting the drive, is going to get the drive. So we're not seeing the best drivers and the best teams always because money is just dictating that uh, the sport too much.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the drivers then. Alex, which driver caught your eye? Which drivers caught your eye this year for for good or bad reasons?
4: Well, Alonso, without having the second best car, finishing second in the championship is a a great, great achievement for him. Vettel, again, running away with it. Um, A lot's been said. Uh, Stunning towards the end of the year. Uh, I've seen it... um, compared to other sports where a particular sports person may dominate. But I, think, I suppose the difference in Formula One and most other sports is that for Lionel Messi, for instance, to score 10 goals or 20 goals in a season, he's got to get past defenders and a goalie to do it. A lot of the time, Vettel's out in front and just runs away. Um, I'd like to see him race more. I know that said a lot about him, but
0: um, I watch racing for the racing, not for the the hot laps. And, and how about you, Stephen? Who have you liked uh, or seen go backwards this year?
3: Uh, I think, again, Alonso is... Just spectacular again. He's had almost every weekend two Red Bulls that are quicker than him, two Lotuses that are quicker than him, even two Mercedes that are quicker than him almost, almost every weekend. And he's still finished second in the championship. His consistency is just incredible. So I think for the second year, probably running Alonso has outperformed his car, and so yeah, he's been again the one that catches my eye. I feel like he's been so patient since he's been to Ferrari. I felt he should have won the 2010 championship, he should have won the championship last season and I feel like he's done his part and maybe the team's not given him a car that's worthy of his talent and every weekend he's, you know, he kind of just smiles and he puts on a face and I think it's understandable that he got a little bit frustrated, I mean, compared to what some drivers, you know, you can see like Hamilton coming out and really giving the team a bit of a hammer. But would
4: he have done that if Enzo was still there?
0: He'd have been fired. (laughs) (laughs) Good good point, yeah, good point. Okay, so Mark's out of 10 then for the 2013 season.
4: Alex? I think I'd give it about a 7. Not too bad, but not great.
0: Stephen? Uh,
3: 4 out of 10. It's just very predictable. And I've been watching it with some of my friends and I can almost have to apologise and say, like, oh, it's not normally like this. It normally is better than this. But it's happened quite a lot.
0: And let me just ask you about uh, how you consume the Formula One. I mean, first of all, broadcast wise, which, which coverage do
1: you watch? Sky. Um, I wish it wasn't that way because it would be nice to, to watch the BBC. But I guess for two reasons. One, uh, the, co- the coverage is always live. Uh, and secondly, I, I, you know, I find the punditry on the BBC now, the lineup has changed a little bit. Uh, pantomime sometimes, which is a little bit tricky.
0: And social media wise, I mean, the, the teams everybody's getting much more into communicating via social media. What, what's your view on? Because I think you work in that world, don't yeah, you? Yeah, no, know. So how do you think they're doing?
1: They're nascent. It's it's the very early days compared to some of the big brands, um, but they're definitely communicating with their audience, and it, it, they have for the first time they really have a relationship with their fans. And I think the more and more they build up uh, that sort of interactivity and engage with those fans, I think. Uh, the better it will be for them and and you'll have more fans following teams rather than drivers which I think is, is more the case now
0: And um, which who do you
1: think does the best job social media? I'm standing in the Mercedes factory after they've given me a, a wonderful day um, But they do a very good job as do uh, Lotus and, and Red Bull
0: Okay, and Daniel what's for you Sky or BBC?
1: Uh, it's Sky for me
5: Um it, simply because I I want to be able to watch every race live um and see coverage of of you know of all the sessions and that's what sky gives it me so uh you know well, like patrick said it'd be nice to watch it on the bbc um when 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 sky didn't have it the coverage was always brilliant um but now that it's not live for every race it um yeah it wouldn't be quite the same if i you know to watch highlights, I guess.
0: Do you have a second screen? Do you have the timing app going and with all the tired data on it and all that sort of stuff?
5: I do. Yeah, I do sometimes. Um, Yeah, uh, I guess it depends how I'm feeling. Uh, Sometimes I just want to watch the race. Um, But, you know, Sky gives you those um, interactive options as well to switch between the, the different screens. So, you know, sometimes use them. I guess that's another... Another reason why there's just that extra, extra feature in there to, you know, why I might stick with Sky.
0: And how about you, Stephen? How do you consume it?
5: For the live Grand Prix, I mean, I have to watch it on Sky, unfortunately.
3: But um, if they're both on BBC and Sky, then I'll choose the BBC when they're both showing them live because I think the BBC puts on a better show. I like the analysis. I love Eddie Jordan. And uh, I guess being a Scotsman, I love David Coulthard. And for me, that he just does brilliant commentary and brilliant analysis.
0: Okay. How about you, Joseph? you uh watch sky or bbc
6: it's sky before obviously, uh, obviously with bbc i thought it was great coverage um with sky i can only echo what everyone else has said i you know i watch it because they're they're the only ones that i can guarantee alive and um but you know it's interesting to see where it's going in the future i do i do think that's a good step for the for the sport maybe a few years too late maybe um
0: but yeah, and are you a social media fan?
6: Yeah, I, f- I mean, I follow most of the drivers. I think the insight you get from Lewis and Alonso is, is really, really quite cool. Um, and from the teams, I think Lotus do and Mercedes do uh, do a really good job. It does bring you much closer to the sport. The James Allen on F1 podcast, brought to you by UBS.
0: So, those were the thoughts of the fans, but the reason that they were at the Mercedes factory was to drive the team's race car simulator. Let me set the scene for you. It's a Formula One chassis with no wheels or tyres on it, bolted to a rig in the middle of a room with a giant semi-circular screen projecting imagery onto it. The driver is connected to the control room via headphones, but all the controls, the steering wheel, which was a genuine Nico Rosberg Formula One steering wheel, and the pedals and all the controls are exactly as they are in a Formula One car. It's super sensitive, it has a dynamic tyre model so it completely simulates exactly what it's like to drive a car, and Barcelona was the circuit selected. So what did they think of this experience? Was it what they expected? Alex, who was quickest on the day, was the first to offer his thoughts. It was
4: uh, more than I expected, it's mind-blowing, the, um, the fact that you've got this wraparound screen in front of you completely filling your peripheral vision means that your brain is being assaulted um, unlike it's ever been before. Um getting used to the steering wheel with uh, the amount of buttons that are on there was uh, tricky. Uh, the braking was massively different to anything I've experienced in the past. Um, I've driven some cars with unassisted brakes and they were difficult, but this was um, on another level altogether. Uh, just getting consistent with
0: it was tough, but I thoroughly enjoyed it and loved it. Love to get back in if you give me another shot. So Sam Bird set a reference lap time and on your first go within what seven or eight laps you got within two and a half seconds of his best time. Not good effort.
4: Uh, yeah, that, my goal coming here today was to to try and do that. I've um I've played a lot of computer video racing games um over the, the years. Um I kind of know the track already. Um but the simple fact that it was so big in front of you, the sensation of speed was massive compared to what you'd get off, a say, a 19-inch television. Um, those kind of factors really have a, an impact on just how quickly you go in these things. But to get within two and a half, three seconds of Sam was, yeah, um, great. And Lucy, did you enjoy it?
2: Yes, very much, yeah. Uh, it was uh, very difficult, but uh, I enjoy it. Uh, I It was difficult with the car, um, I don't drive, so for me, it was uh, very difficult, but uh, I really enjoy it.
0: Do you have a different admiration for Lewis Hamilton now?
2: I don't imagine what it was so hard for, for them, for the drivers. Uh, now what I see, I realise it's a very hard uh, job. and uh, yes.
0: It's much more difficult than it looks on the cameras, isn't it? On board cameras.
2: Yes, very different of what we see uh, on television.
0: Well, thanks very much to you all for coming along today. Alex, you had a chance to get closer to the sport. What do you think?
4: Oh, it's fantastic. Thank you very much, James, uh, and UBS and Mercedes-AMG F1 for allowing us in here today. Um, It's unlike anything most people will ever get a chance to do.
0: So, yeah, it's been incredible. Uh, Patrick, how did it match up to your expectations?
1: It was pretty mind-blowing. It was incredibly immersive and a little bit disorientating at first, but um, really, like, hyper-accurate. And just the driving position in itself was a real eye-opener and just being able to see over the car and it was really, really tricky. So it was was a lot of fun, a lot of fun.
0: Was it as difficult as you thought it would be?
1: Some aspects were easier and some aspects were a lot harder. The viewing position and actually trying to get proper speed out of the car was really hard. Um, Throttle control and throttle inputs were actually a little bit easier than I thought they were going to be. I thought I was going to be spinning a lot more than I was. Which was only twice. It's not too bad.
0: And braking is obviously one of the crucial things. The differences between a Formula One car and a normal road car is incredible braking potential. You were you were hitting the brakes into the first corner at Barcelona around about the hundred meter mark, which uh, you know looked like you were pretty much there.
1: I was literally having to lift my whole body onto the brakes and, and slam down as hard as I could because the brakes are so stiff, and that's completely different from any sort of video game or any other simulator you'll ever ever try. Daniel, what did you think of it? Yeah, it's it's a
5: it's a good feeling to just keep going round and round and start improving and, and uh, but yeah impressive
0: what was the thing that you liked the most about it
5: to get a real feel of the the driving position and uh, and, and sort of being immersed in that, that really small tight space um, with, the, with the the screens coming right around you know so you get a full uh, like visual image of, of what's going on around you and, and that made a big difference you know to playing on a you know sort of screen and yeah brilliant.
0: Has it made you feel any different about the driving?
5: <laughs> well, the clutch was pretty hard to get get the hang of, so yeah, it, it just uh, just that alone. Um, I think when you start to see the what they've got to deal with on the steering wheels, yeah, you realise that uh, there's a hell of a lot more to it than just sticking your foot on the pedal and turning the, turning the steering wheel. So yeah, big appreciation for, for what they have to do just to get the car on the track.
0: And Stephen, you uh, you caught the eye because you sort of did the sensible approach of building up to it slowly but surely, but you actually turned in some pretty good times as you built up to them.
3: I really didn't know what to do, I just wanted to play it safe, you know, first of all, just get a feel for the car, but then every lap you just think, oh, I can brake a little bit later, I can brake a bit later, and then oh, the car turns in a bit earlier, so yeah, my, I built my confidence up and yeah, it's just mind-blowing, just, I, I can't have speechless, I don't know what to say about it, it was just an uh, incredible experience Um I'd love to do it again.
0: So when you go on the comment sections of websites and you say, oh, this driver's an idiot and he hasn't got a clue what he's doing, will you will you kind of review that uh, policy from now on and think actually it's a bit more difficult than it looks?
3: Uh, I think so, yeah. It's, I mean, it is incredibly... Even when I felt like I have done a really good lap, I thought, yeah, I've kind of hooked this up, and then you look at it and you're like, you're eight seconds off the pace. It's like, wow, they were really... They are doing something special out there.
0: And Joseph, you were interesting because you, you we were all egging you on. You were so close to setting a mind-blowingly fast time. You had all these different sectors and then you'd spin or whatever it may be. So it just couldn't quite get it all together on the same lap to be no, the fastest I, of the day. I
6: couldn't, unfortunately. It was phenomenal fun and uh newfound respect for, for all the drivers, well most of them at least. And um it was yeah, just phenomenal. It's if you take the the, the F1 games and The the sims you can get online—it's times it by ten or hundred. Even it was really, really good.
0: Having done a lot of that, I gather uh, that kind of uh, sim racing in the past. What what was the thing that struck you the most about the real thing here in the Formula One factory?
6: The grip, and, and and you know, not just having more of it, but also feeling the car when you're going around certain corners, getting away from you, or the you know losing grip was just really great. Like you know, so much more, so much better.
5: This is the James Allen on F1 podcast.
0: Mercedes reserve driver Sam Bird was there throughout the day. He set the benchmark time and was on hand to offer advice. Sam Bird's fastest time around Barcelona? 1 minute 26.6. And the fastest of our winners was Alex, 1 minute 29.3. Not bad for 20 minutes in a simulator he'd never even seen before. Afterwards, I asked Sam how he thought the readers
7: had done driving such a simulator for the very first time extremely well they're not uh, they're not easy things to drive James and uh, everybody acquitted themselves exceptionally well. everybody built up to their best lap times and um, I'm. I'm just hoping that everybody leaves here with a smile on their face. It's an amazing thing, uh,
0: a simulator. It's incredible how
7: accurate it is compared to
0: the to the reality. Um, does it surprise you that just ordinary members of the public can sort of jump into one of these things and and get within what two and a half, three seconds of your of your lap time around Barcelona?
7: Um, in a way, yes. In a way, no. I mean, uh, you've got to remember, in uh, in racing talk, two and a half, three seconds is is uh, a reasonable chunk. However, having said that, these are. Ordinary members of the public, and to be able to do that today, I was uh, I was very impressed by all of them. Um, some of them have some um, racing experience online, but even h- having said that, you know this is a very complex piece of machinery that we're talking about here. Um, this is a tool that we use to develop our race car here at Mercedes AMG Petronas Formula One Team. So, it uh, it is very much um, part of our our development. Um, within the team and, and to come in and, you know, be on the money and, and keep it on the circuit is an achievement in itself. What's the most important aspect when driving a simulator then? It's not necessarily about the overall lap time, James. It's about repeatability and, and getting laps as close together as, as possible because we want to get an average lap of, of a run uh, so that we can compare it to another average lap of another run. So we're looking for, obviously, you've got to be in the ball park in terms of pace but we're looking for laps that are within hopefully a tenth of each other for five laps in a row which takes it out of you mentally actually towards the end of the day
0: and how much time do you spend in the simulator
7: as much as I can <laughs> uh, I'm always pestering them to give me more time in the sim because more time in the sim means I'm more used to the car means I'm more up-to-date with all the systems and, and what we're running at the racetracks so um, you know I need to be on top of it if I'm going to ever be needed by the race team on, on any given weekend
0: Well, listen, thank you so much for making yourself available today. It's been fantastic. We've all really appreciated it. Thank you very much indeed. Mercedes development driver Sam Bird there. Well, a unique opportunity comes to an end, and thanks very much to UBS and to the Mercedes team for making it possible. That's it for another year on JA on F1. Thanks to our sponsors, UBS, and thanks to you for listening. We'll be back for more in 2014, which promises to be a year of change and hopefully unpredictability. Plus, you can keep up to date with the latest news between now and the start of the new season on my website, jamesallenonf1.com. Bye for now.
5: The James Allen on F1 podcast is brought to you by UBS and is a Speed Merchants Media production. The producer is Mark Newman.